This conversation is sponsored by Caps Health and Wellness. This is what I know. We're all connected to one another, the earth and all her inhabitants. We thrive on these connections, real ones that touch our soul, fill our hearts and invigorate our mind. I have been so fortunate to experience this all my life, meeting extraordinary ordinary folks who inspire and provoke. My name is Khadija Mhesin. Welcome to Adventures of the Soul Conversations. My hope is that they will fill your cup as they have filled mine. I'm the first to complain that technology is not always helpful in supporting us to build human connections. The reality is we spend more time interacting with one another behind screens, which really brings me to the irony of my next conversation. This same technology, I lament, has allowed me to meet and get to know my guest, Gloria Latham. It was bright and early for her at 6 a.m. in Vancouver, BC, when we sat down behind said screens to talk about yoga, empowerment, the guru, the turban, the veil, and how we are really essentially all the same. Gloria has been studying and teaching Kundalini Yoga for 20 years. She has spent decades bringing yoga to thousands of people through her Semper Viva Yoga Studios in Vancouver, BC, online, on retreats, teacher trainings, and conferences around the world. She is a Lululemon Global Ambassador, a frequent presenter at yoga conferences and festivals, as well as Gaia TV. From my sofa in Amman one sunny afternoon, I sat down to chat with one of the most influential forces of yoga teacher training worldwide. Technology is really awesome, sometimes. Okay, they have to roll, but we're, hold that thought because we're coming back to that. That's actually how we're starting. Go ahead. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Did you, uh, did you move to, uh, did, you, did you go as an immigrant to Vancouver or were you born there? I was born in Vancouver, but I'm first generation, so. Uh, so you're like my, my daughters. Yeah, yeah, except, you know, I had, um, very similar to, to people at that time, my parents had no education, my mom didn't even complete grade one, so I, I was the child who would have to, uh, as soon as I learned to spell, I'd have to write checks for my parents and do all their, you know, help help with a lot of things that you normally wouldn't do it. Uh, six, seven, eight years of age. and Were you an only yeah. child? No, I had an older brother. And uh, what brought your parents to Vancouver? Oh, they both went through the war. So, um, hunger, <laughs> hunger brought, oh my goodness, sorry. Hunger brought them to Vancouver. I'm laughing because uh, my teacher's Gurumuk is calling me right now. <laughs> oh, how awesome, my God. This conversation is blessed. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. You know, uh, uh, Gloria, I've been, uh, um, uh, first of all, I'm so thankful uh, to be able to speak to you while, while you're in your kitchen, I'm assuming, or somewhere in Vancouver, and I'm here in Amman with a 10-hour difference. What a blessing uh, technology is sometimes. Um, um, and thank you so much for accepting, you know, agreeing to, to wake up at uh, wee hours of the morning to speak to me. I realized... Uh, today that we have something in common. So my name is Khadija, which is a very big Muslim name that does not necessarily um, uh, conform to what I look like. And today watching a video of yours online, 
you said that one of the things that uh, you think has uh, helped you uh, uh, reach people is the fact that you don't necessarily look like a yogi, a kundalini yoga teacher, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell me more about um, how you have come to terms with this and how comfortable you are with this. Um, yeah, I'm completely comfortable with it. <laughs> I don't know that everyone is comfortable with it. So it, to, background for people that don't, don't know uh, what we're talking about exactly. So typically in Kundalini yoga, you wear a head covering, you're always required to wear white and there's energetic reasons for that. Um, and, um, tell me about the, so I, I understand the turban with the energy is to contain the energy in the, in the crown, but what about the white? I don't know about the white. Well, they say wearing white expands your aura by nine feet, you know, and Yogi Bhajan said by, dr by dressing differently, you know, at the time that he was teaching, he said people will also be drawn to you, students will be drawn to you, uh, to, there'll be a curiosity, you know, and so that, that sort of became a way to open up the conversation for what you're doing, right? Because everybody else in our city is not walking around in white flowing robes and, and the turban. Now, um, when I started doing yoga. I mean, I came to yoga, like I believe most people come to yoga, and it's because of personal pain. You know, my life was uh, was not working. It was a very challenging time. And, it, you know, it was just the usual stuff of life had built up to the point that I was becoming so anxious. And um, things felt really, really difficult. So sort of, let's say I was, I was headed towards burnout pretty fast. And you were a pharmacist with your own working for someone or with your own business? Yeah, I worked as a pharmacist. It was the time that the AIDS, had, you know, the beginning of the whole AIDS thing. And so I was working very much with that population and which was really an interesting time because, you know, I was in the downtown core in Vancouver and there were, you know, parents flying in to see and be with their children who you know, not only did they find out at that time that their children had AIDS, but also that was the first time they found out that their child was also gay. So um, all all of this emotion and, and... But you're a pharmacist. Like, how was how were you in touch with the parents? Like, you know, oh, this is... so because I, my, the pharmacy I worked at was right across the street from the hospital that had the... Oh. Um, was doing all of the research around AIDS and had the largest um, uh, population uh, with the with the illness in our area. So that's how we were constantly in touch with them, coming back and forth for for wow. things. So you were experiencing all this suffering outside of you. There was a lot. Yeah, I was at the AIDS population, and also I also worked in the methadone clinic. So I worked with people with addiction. So that was a big part of my work. So a lot of pain, a lot of uh, a lot of pain. Um, so there was that there, and then just the usual, you know, young couple with financial stress, you know, children on the way, all of all of those things, family Ill illnesses, um, just you know, the pressure building, <laughs> the pressure building. So I. I had a naturopath who kept recommending for me to me for a long, long time to take yoga. And I had the same mental picture of yoga that most people have, just very you know, gentle and soothing and relaxing. And the energy inside me was so worked up. I couldn't even imagine like how I could be in this room just sitting around, just peaceful, doing nothing <laughs> while I had churning calm. It was 
you know, uh, to me, what made sense was to go out and go for a run and to just run off that energy or, you know, to go into the gym and... And you were cultivating more and more energy without recognizing, without knowing how to control it, contain it. And so I was the, you know, I was trying to burn off that energy, but that was also, uh, was all more energy out, more energy out, where, as you know, with the yoga, you're regenerating yourself. You're not just... You do, you do release that, but at the same time, because of the breath work, you're also regenerating and renewing yourself. So it has an entirely different quality to it. Anyway, so my naturopath for a long, long time was after me. You have to do this. You have to do this. And I was, yeah, whatever, until one day I just felt so, so bad, so ill. I was, um, I was at work and I said, you know what, I'm going to, we had a metaphysical bookstore across the street. I said, I will go and get myself a yoga video because I still couldn't even imagine that I could take an hour for myself to do a practice. So I'll just go grab a video and I'll go home and I'll try it. So I went across the street, got this 15 minute video, did the practice and it was in my living room floors alone in the house. And I remember getting up from that practice and I still feel that first breath I took, you know, when I got up, like it was the, the, first deep breath of my life that so profound and um so immediately i knew it was something i had to explore so i got up off the living room floor and i went to find the only teacher in my community that i knew i mean we're talking a long time ago there was not a lot of how long how long ago over 20 years Mm, over 20 years so you know it wasn't the time that there was a yoga studio on every corner and uh you know all these videos and and there was it was very limited anyway so I went to my teacher and at that time I had no idea there were different styles or I, I knew nothing all I knew was this felt amazing and I needed to understand it like why why was this so impactful and I needed more of it and so, and I didn't want to take classes. I wanted to, I wanted to really understand it. I wanted to dive deep. And so I the remember this in you, the scientist in you. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I, uh, I went to this teacher and I literally had to beg her to allow me to do teacher training because when I told her, I said, well, I want to train uh, because I knew that's how I'd have the deeper experience. Straight away. Straight away, she, she laughed at me. She says, well, you haven't even taken any classes. And I said, yeah, but I need this. And I, I remember saying, this, I know that I need this. So I came to yoga from a very different place. I had no, you know, I, I watch now how, how students explore yoga. They get onto Google and, you know, or explore teacher training and they, they, there's all this thought process and, oh, let me look, let me research the different styles and let me, you know, all of, all of that and what course and what teacher. And for me, it was just like a hook. It was just, this is where I'm going. Just boom. <laughs> and this teacher was not a Kundalini teacher or was she? She was, she was, she was a Kundalini teacher. And so, um, yeah, so yeah, go ahead. I go say, ahead. so I ended up, I ended up in Kundalini yoga and yet if I had researched it, I may not no, probably not, because there's so much around that. Is it a cult? Is it a religion? There's so much confusion. So there is American Sikhism, which is a religion, and then there is yoga, and they are separate. And um, so you don't need to be an American Sikh to practice yoga. Now, um, so the the clothing and, and all of that, where does that come in? So was the clothing an issue for you? 
It wasn't for me. I, I mean, for me, it was, um, you know, I always say to people, I've grown up in Vancouver, so we are a very open, accepting place. So it's not unusual. You know, for years, I would see people walking down the streets in the white flowing robes and the turbans, and I, I wouldn't think anything of it because, you know, we're a multicultural place. It's, there's so many so many different people, so many different backgrounds, uh, didn't, didn't register for me as anything odd. But then when you go into the yoga and people start recommending or strongly recommending that you dress a certain way, you know, then it feels a little bit odd. So of course I did the exploration around, well, why, why the white clothing and why the turban? But here's, here's what really was, uh, was difficult for me. I found myself over time that, so there were so many conversations about people asking why wearing why not me but like why wear the turban and why the white robe it became like fixated on that and we couldn't get into the yoga conversation and so that's why I said it felt like a barrier it felt like a barrier there's more I have had probably I don't even know how many conversations about what someone wears versus actually the yoga and so I feel like it's irrelevant and the other thing when I did my very first training, um, I remember sitting down with my teacher and saying, this is so impactful for me and I know how amazing it is and I wanna share it with people, but I know um, I know that people walking in aren't really clear on, it felt like a mixed message. Am I, getting, am I getting involved in a cult or am I doing yoga? Because if you're asking me to wear something, you know, to dress a certain way, it feels, you know, it feels a little odd. And so was this right I at the beginning, Gloria, for you yeah, or did it, did it take time? No, it was right at the beginning. It was right at the beginning because um, because it was so impactful for me and because I wanted to share it, I wanted to break down the, the barriers and I wanted the student to be able to see themselves in me and for, and for me to be able to see myself in the student. I wanted to be relatable to each other so we could have an open experience instead of this block or this barrier of like, I'm something other than you, you know, something maybe above you as a teacher. I love what Mark Whitwell says as a teacher. He says, as uh, the student-teacher relationship, he says, a teacher should be no more than a friend and no less than a friend friend and so it kind of yeah and it kind of breaks down that whole student uh, you know guru student thing because I think that's just rife for disaster you know, the minute you start trying to elevate yourself or make yourself maybe even look different or than your student you're you're creating a barrier there we need to be talking to each other like this we learn as much or more from the student as they learn from us it's a conversation and and we can't have an open conversation when we have barriers and um of course like I said, we're, does it matter what people wear? Absolutely not. But if you if you are very specific about what I should wear, that makes me a bit uncomfortable. Because this is also, I feel like there's so many things you just said that um, that really touched me. Uh, one is I can't get the uh, even the idea of the veil and uh, the identification with being Muslim with that because in some ways when you explained uh, the rationale behind the white and the clothing the whole thing it's to it's to make them stand out so people know who they are and I think that explains a lot about the rationale behind the veil to begin with because they really needed to stand out in the city so that at the time uh, so that people knew that who they were. So it was a, it was almost, a, um, uh, you know, like an, a, a, an identity for them. 
So there's that, and that really, I mean, this is the first time I look at it that way, so that, thank you for that. And then there's the other idea of the barrier, because yes, it is a barrier. It is a barrier because you immediately, without even re realizing it, you're just putting that person in a box, you know? Um, and it takes, it takes a while. I think barriers eventually come down after you establish that human connection, but it's the initial one that would totally be People already have such a hard time getting to even begin yoga. You know, it takes people a long time to, to be open to it. And then once they get there, then we're sending them mixed signals. And, you know, for in Kundalini yoga, for instance, it might be the, the turban and the white flowing robes. But if I do, say, another style of yoga and I walk into a yoga studio and I'm, if as a teacher I'm telling them that yoga is not a religion, but then I walk into a yoga studio and it's all painted with Hindu gods on the wall, I'm sending mixed signals. Yeah, and being, right. for me, yoga should strengthen your faith, whatever your faith is. Do you know, have you heard that quote um, by uh, an English pastor who said, Buddhism made me a better Christian? Ah. And I feel like, I think that the one thing, I never knew about this quote until recently actually, but, uh, but you know, for me, when I took my first teacher training, and like you, I had no idea. I mean, I just jumped in. I had no expectations, so I just did the whole thing. And I think because there were no expectations, I think the the effect was really, really profound. Um, it made me a better Muslim. It made me more spiritual in my prayer. It made me um, connect more to my religion because I started to put two and two together. Like even now, when you're speaking about the, you know, the the white and the turban. It's just, you know, it just makes me think of my own, you know, my own culture and my own religion. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, wow, it's really, really profound. The other thing that I, uh, you know, it, you brought up is um, you have to also, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I kept thinking of wild, wild country when you were start talking about the guru and, you know, all gurus fall from grace. At least that's what history has, has shown us. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, have you watched wild, wild country? I haven't. Everybody has told me to watch it. <laughs> oh, I think I think you need. I mean, it's shocking. It's shocking, and I, I, it made me depressed for days because uh, there's so many. Yeah, uh, but it again, it's about you know gurus fall from grace, and if you're if you're a, you 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 think of yourself as uh, I I I have I love the word guru though. Is yeah, it, it's, it's, it's anything light or that the, moves the, you from darkness so to light. Everybody is everyone's guru, really, when you think about it. But I think it's this label. But the other thing with yoga, yoga now today, and I think that from my experience, that's what um, maybe alienates some people, is uh, the commercialism now. <laughs> Having, you know, to wear a certain label and to look a certain way and to be able to have a certain body type. And, you know, there's that too. It's not only the... Where is, no, and, and I can certainly speak to that because now we've been running four studios in, in Vancouver and we're a very like fitness lifestyle kind of community. I love, love your, studio, your studio, let me say. Let me I, love I love it. I love yoga there, there and I love it. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. You know, the, the fact that people do see it as a way to get sort of physically fit, at least at least it helps us to get them in the door. And so that's that is the beauty of the commercial side of it is all of a sudden because everybody feels they have to like work out or they in some way or they need to get fit. So if they have that as a driving force, it kind of helps us to get them to get them in the studio. But then it's our work to say, great, you're here now. And for sure, we're going to work your physical body. But some other things are going to happen. So then it's up to us. That commercialism helped helped 
that students start their journey. But then we can take them once they're there, we that then it's up to us to build that relationship and take them to a new place they couldn't have even imagined when they went to, you know, um, buy their new yoga mat and their new pair of pants and, and walk in. But you know, also, Gloria, it's up to you, but it's also up to them because what happens is, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of the gym and working out and this whole athletic thing of, uh, because it gets you there. I mean, it's just a different way, but eventually you're all going to get to the same place. We're all going to get to the same place. So, you know, you can, you can, uh, you can uh, be, uh, be, I don't know, I mean, I, I use it lightly, enlightened, but you can become enlightened um, running a marathon, you know? Totally, totally, yeah. Uh, um, so I did ask, um, thank you though, that was, uh, that was really beautiful. I asked some of my friends, you know, what questions they would like to ask you. Um, it, um, this is going to be a, a little bit random, but before I go there, um, I couldn't help but think that um, you needed a lot of courage to to say that I don't want to conform to what I'm supposed to be. Do you feel like you you still tap into this in, internal this courage, or are you just so comfortable that it's not even an issue for you? I feel like if I'm doing it for the right reason, my my purpose in doing it is I want to be able to share something that helped me at a very very difficult time in my life. Now, if I was doing it for some other reason, for some personal motive, that would be different. Then it would be I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to do it. I'm doing it because I believe this will uh, open something up that's very impactful to someone who can literally feel better like this if they have the tools. Within within a couple of minutes of the breathing techniques, with a, a couple of minutes of the meditation, moving their body, they can feel better instantly. And so that's that is the only motivation. And so I have to believe. Uh, I have to believe it's. I'm gonna say it's okay. It's better than okay. It's, I'm solid in this decision. Yeah, I can see it. And I think what what uh, attracts people to you is this authenticity. I mean, it shows you're authentic, you're, you're sharing uh, from this space of authenticity. And I think that's, uh, that's what everyone uh, relates to. I try to always think about themes, you know, when, uh, when I ask uh, guests to, uh, um, to have this chat. And for some reason with you, empowerment kept coming to me. And lately, uh, I, th I believe it's this is 100% in flow because there's been a lot in the media uh, recently about how um, change and growth um, starts from within, from the inside out, and how science and how science now uh, has come to this as well. It's nice that science and the spiritual world are meeting. Um, so with with you, I feel I don't know. Does that uh, uh, resonate at all? Absolutely. And, um, you know, in honoring what Yogi Bhajan said when he came and started teaching in North America, he said, I can't, I didn't come here to collect disciples. So his whole intent was to train teachers, meaning not necessarily that everybody's going to teach yoga, but once you have teach yoga formally in a yoga studio, but once you have this wisdom, you know, this, these tools, you are going to teach, you are going to share, you're going to feel compelled. If you know something that could be helpful to someone in your life, would you not share it? And so um, so he was from the beginning encouraging people to step up, to take that, that sort of leadership role 
um, to step into their power and really at the core of Kundalini Yoga. So Kundalini Yoga, as with all yogas, the purpose is to raise your Kundalini energy and that's tremendous power. And that isn't, you know, a power over another person. That's your own personal power. That's, that's I was referred to as like the greatness you're capable of. It's about stepping into your purpose. It's about living your passion. It's about your destiny. So that's pretty powerful stuff. And so we say that that's the energy that we're not utilizing. We're not living to our full potential. And so empowerment, yes, we, because we're limited by the mind, you know, the mind will spin stories. It'll tell you, you can, or you can't. And whatever you believe will be right, will be your reality. The yoga helps us to bypass the thinking mind. So we get into our bodies so we can change the mind. And it happens by raising this energy. When you raise this energy, you change your perception. You change how you see the world. You become awake and aware and you stop blaming others for what's happening in your life and you take personal responsibility for your life. And that affects tremendous change. So that's power. You have control. You take back control of your destiny. You get back in the driver's seat of your life. And it's limitless. Yeah. Um, I heard, uh, I listened to an interview with Guru Singh um, and Ritual and he, and he said something going back to running on, you know, running a marathon and becoming enlightened is that uh, all these activities that involve um, the lungs, the lung is, uh, is heart centered, it's because uh, it surrounds the heart. Um, so yeah, you're, you're cultivating that. So any, any I guess, card, I, I am assuming that this applies to any kind of any activity that puts you in that state of flow is yeah. what does it where all sense of time disappears and then you're really at your best and then the creativity flows and then you're not limited by your your mind and you know the the wild thoughts it has you're in a whole other place in this limitless in this place of limitless possibility and not only that also strength and courage because you're building that energy at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think uh, Kundalini Yoga, the uh, the path is a faster uh, track? I, can, I, can, I, th I think that the, one of the biggest differences is because when you're doing Kundalini Yoga, you get into a very simple movement. Like the movement might be you just, you know, you're shaking your arms, you're shaking your body for several minutes. So there's no thought required. Once I get myself into the movement, I, I sort of lose myself. Whereas if I'm in a Hatha or Vinyasa practice, I have to pay more attention to my physical alignment. So, you know, if I get myself into a warrior two, I'm going to, I'm sort of going between being in my body and uh, and looking at the outside, I want to see where my hand, the position of my hand, I want to see my knee over my ankle. So I keep pulling myself out mm -hmm. of this this uh, this place that I lose myself in when I'm doing a repetitive motion. Do you think it keeps you uh, floating and not necessarily grounded? Uh, you know, that depends on the, I would say, the teacher and the student. If I want to make myself completely ungrounded and spiral out of control I can certainly do that but that's not how I teach it and uh, and deliver it I there are you want to use uh, you want to elevate the energy and you want to ground the energy right so we have these awakenings we become aware of this powerful energy inside us and then we have these in, this energy when it changes your brain chemistry and you have this these insights you want to take those insights and ground the energy and use them to make your life work so you have to be working with two the two currents of energy what they say enlightenment and manifestation so that you're right grounding is a very important element here do you think there's a risk that some of the practices are 
keeping people not grounded and uh... I, I think people go after what they want if I want to trip out I can make myself trip out you know I you know I think uh, if people if I want to create issues for myself I can why am I practicing the yoga I'm practicing the yoga so my life can work so my relationships can work so I can be healthy so I can be well I'm not chasing some spun out feeling I happen to feel really good when I practice um, but I have no need to chase that because my bliss comes in my heart and my home it doesn't come from some trippy experience um, and I know that uh, uh, you uh, uh, journaling is a big component of what you do yeah um, and I think that's also another way of uh, keeping you know grounding and, and uh, absolutely yeah do you journal every day um, I Probably not every day, but close to every day. I, I'm trying to do it more and more because I find that it really helps to slow me down. So I do find it to be another form of meditation. I think it's very powerful. So, and obviously you're working, you're high energy. I mean, the, the, the number of, of uh, trainings and workshops and the tra your travel schedule, you were, you don't There's stop. a lot going on. There's a lot, There's going, a lot on. going on. Yeah. Where, uh, how much downtime do you get? Like, I'm curious about what your days look like. I'm going to ask you really nitty gritty details about your day. But I'm curious, uh, when is your downtime? What time do you go to bed? Because I know you're an early riser. So what does your day look like? Uh, I think my days honestly look very different than... Um, I, 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 wanna say, I don't want to encourage people to have their days like mine. I don't think anybody can do what you do. You do. Trust me. <laughs> um, yeah, I have varied responsibilities, which include leading my team. We have 70 people involved in Semper Viva Yoga, so that, that's very real. I have two daughters that live on two different time zones, so I have to, I, I like to connect with them, even if it's just a quick text exchange to, to connect with them. You know, I have a husband, I try to fit into that mix, and we also work together, so we have to, um, you know, talk business and find, squeeze some time for personal life. Um and then at the same time, and then I teach classes almost every single day. And number one, though, for to make any of that work, to make any, look, I could have only one thing to do in a day, and it could still be stressful if I don't do my, my inner work. So that really applies to everybody. It's, and it's very dangerous to talk about being busy in a, in a way, because somehow in our minds, we say, oh, you know, it's important. We can easily get caught in that trap. It's like, oh, I'm important because I'm busy. And I, and I like to just pull that apart. It's like, it's not necessarily a good thing to be busy. And so, um, and, and we should stop kind of valuing it as something as, as glorifying it. Thank you. That's the word. Because then, uh, we teach people that that's okay. Really, we need to simplify what we're doing and we need, you know, we all have things we need to do. You've got to look after your kids. You have to look after your family. You have your job. You have to responsibility. But we also have to take the pressure down. We need to slow down. And if we slow down, I really believe if we go slower, we will accomplish more. And to go slower and to figure out what it is you really need to do, those few moments of grounding yourself in the morning, if you can't do a full practice, a some sort of personal practice for you, it might be prayer, it might be a few minutes of meditation, it might be a few rounds of sun salutations. If that's the first thing I do in the morning, then I get out of my crazy mind spin of like, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, and, and run. And I get really clear on, okay, this 
is what's important for me to do. And I'm going to put all of this aside. And then whatever I choose to do, because I also want to be able to look as I choose to do this. This might not look like everybody else's schedule, but there's I've chosen this. I've brought these things into my life. And so it's up to me to manage, to manage this, not only time-wise, but energetically. Where am I spending my energy? And um, and to constantly reevaluate that so that there is never this sense of burnout. Being tired is one thing, like getting, you know, getting to bed at night, like, oh wow. I'm, like last night I remember lying down and I'm like, oh, I'm so happy to be I lying down. That. In bed. I love that bed is so nice. That that's one thing. And there's another thing to feel just bent, just emotionally drained. That's a whole other and thing. And so that's the place I never want to go again being tired or you know uh, just kind of that exhilarated exhausted cool I'll take that any day <laughs> so do you um, uh, this is this is one of the one of the questions I was asked to ask you um, and it's a question that people ask me all the time um, how do you make time to meditate every day and I feel like meditation nowadays is like yoga 20 years ago um, it's kind of uh, taking center stage and everybody's talking about it which is awesome um, and there is also that anxiety and fear because it's unknown and it looks like it's so time consuming. And there's also expectation tied to it because the assumption is when you look at people meditating, you think, oh my God, they're blissed out. There's no way I can do this. When in actual fact, you know, everybody goes through exactly the same thing. So, uh, so uh, tell me first about your own personal practice, how you make time for your own personal practice and how do you share the the highs and lows mm -hmm. so my own personal practice looks completely different every single day so that's the kind of one of the funny things about me is like i'm both disciplined and undisciplined meaning like there's the discipline of daily practice but it isn't say 20 minutes every morning and 20 minutes every evening the you know some of the the rules they tell you in yoga like to, to meditate in exactly the same place exactly the same time um Every single day, my meditation looks different. This morning, it was with mantra. Yesterday, it was silent. Um, you know, it, it could be it could be walking uh, through when we go to um, one of the Gulf Islands here. It could be a walking meditation through the forest, um, either focusing very deliberately on the breath or using a mantra. It could be anything. And so, I need the variety to keep me interested to keep mm -hmm. doing it. That's mm -hmm. that's who I am. But it's it also is and the my time changes. And the time changes, same thing. Like, I'll just flow with it. I'll just, um, you know, uh, if I, when I'm traveling to different places, the best thing I can do is make sure I don't drop my routine, not even for a day. And if you can do a practice, a physical practice, the minute you land or, or go out for a long walk first and then come do your practice, that's very grounding. Best medicine for, for jet lag. You'll never experience jet lag again. Yeah. And so um, when you, it, it isn't a conscious thought anymore to meditate. It's like when someone does, uh, you know, if you've ever done those 40 day challenges or a lot of yoga students have 30 day challenges. Yeah. Once you yeah. do yoga every single day, that many days in a row, it's like your body takes over. It becomes like a craving, right? You're, you don't have to think about, do I want to do this? You want to do it. Like physically you feel, it feels so amazing. Um, it becomes a habit. It becomes a positive habit. So it's the same thing with meditation. If you do, in the kundalini tradition we we do 40-day meditations and once you where it's very interesting because if you miss one day you have to go back to day 
day one. And so when you do the, the meditation that many days consistently, then again, it becomes this craving. Uh, you don't have to think about it. You've built up your willpower and also this desire to be in that stillness. And, and then for people who are struggling with meditation, meditation is not necessarily a blissful experience. In fact, it's not a blissful experience. It's a very challenging experience that gives you moments of bliss. Just just little seconds. fleeting moments. Second, not even maybe a second is too long. It's just true. but it's so rich in how it makes you feel. It's so it's like all of a sudden the entire pressure, like all the pressure is off and everything's gonna work out. And you you know it. You know it so clearly in that moment. And that enough just once you get that feeling is enough to take you back. But you know, these, these questions actually came from people who have done the challenge and who have fallen off the wagon. That's the other thing. Um, sometimes I feel, um, and this is something I have encountered, I don't know if you have, um, people close to you uh, uh, who watch your journey um, have their own stories, obviously, about your, your journey and what's happening to you. And there's a part of them that becomes a little bit aggressive toward you and judgmental because um, you touch something in them, you trigger something. And that has to do with probably the guilt and the shaming process that they uh, go through themselves because they wonder, why can't we do this? Why, um, why can't I be disciplined? Why can't I do this every day? And then they spiral into this, this circle, this uh, spiral of shame. Um, and then there's the assumption that um, it's just one pill. You have to do exactly the same. Like you have to do exactly what Gloria does and then you'll be like Gloria. Yeah, yeah. I try very much when I'm with students to, to help them understand or to have the open conversations like, look, we're in this messy journey together. It's life, you know, and life is going to always throw us challenges and always try and knock us off course. And then what happens is, and we do, we get knocked off course, but the more we practice, the less we let ourselves fall away for too long. Like for instance, if if things become stressful, one, one year I might, not now, but at some point I might've let my practice go for a month until I felt so bad. And then I'd come running back to the practice. Now, the more that happens and the more you understand what the good medicine is, you don't let yourself stay away that long. You say, okay, maybe you missed your meditation yesterday, but you're gonna be sure you do it today because you know how important it is to you. So it's just, and also for students to say, to compare themselves, it's like, um, I've been doing this for over 20 years. So you also have to look at this. It's been an over 20 year journey. So we're we're in different places and it doesn't it doesn't really matter if you keep doing it. It's gonna stick. It's going to stick and in your way. And that's the other thing I tell you to honor is like just because somebody said get up at four o'clock in the morning to meditate doesn't mean that is what you should do. And I say that um, because when I was raising my children, my oldest, for example, had chronic ear infections. So it was not uncommon for me to have to get up six times a night. Now, if I'm awake six times a night and then I wake up to my meditation and then I have to go to work for 12 hours and then come back like that, I, I absolutely need the medicine of meditation, but I will have to do it at, if I do it at 7 a.m., does it make me, you know, not as spiritual or not a good person? Makes me a better mother because then I'm not, you know, then I'm going to have the energy to manage my home. The meditation should be there, but I have to find my way. Yes, absolutely. And uh, there's no separation between you being a mother and being a business owner. You're just one person. And that's the other thing, you know, we talk about uh, 
I don't know, core values or, or you, and, and are you talking, and when people, you know, ask, is this the professional, my professional self, or, you know, like, you're one person. I don't know why there's, oh, we have to always have this dichotomy. You know, I'm one person at work, I'm a parent, and I'm, um, you know, a Kundalini yeah. yoga teacher, you know, we always separate. But maybe this is, this helps us, I don't know, I don't know what, uh, but you know, Gloria, also going back to um, a video of yours that I watched, I loved how you said dedicated practice and not obsessive practice. Yes. This yes. is brilliant. I've never seen it put into words like this. Um, what made you say this? Well, it's because when you say to dedicate to a daily practice, we we have to honor that things come up for people. So even I don't want people to then have guilt about not being able to do to go into the studio for example every single day and do an hour and a half class when i get to go into the studio it's wonderful i have my community i have it's 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 a wonderful wonderful experience but the next day life has different plans for me i have all these responsibilities does that mean i have to sacrifice my yoga no it, i still have the responsibility to connect with you know my higher consciousness so that that part of me is guiding my journey in life and I don't have to be within the studio walls to do that. I can do that anywhere. I can do it in the shower if I decide to breathe consciously, if I decide maybe to use a mantra to quiet my mind. If that's all I've got, I mean, there's there's times in your life where you've got, you know, parents in the hospital, children's needs, this, that, the other thing. If all I've got is that shower, I'm going to make it a conscious shower. shower. I'm going to make it the best shower of my life. Yes, absolutely. And uh, do you think, I think uh, also uh, we're, we're kind of become a, an obsessive race. No, everything is an obsession. And I think this obsession is linked to the spiral of shame as well. Yeah. I'm having yeah. all these uh, aha moments. Yeah. And where does it help people if you make them feel bad? Like my, my feeling is like if we help people feel good, they're going to be more motivated to keep feeling good. Where if we start shaming them or guilting them. And that was my experience. I was I felt very uh, shamed for not doing a two hour practice, every two and a half hour practice every single morning of meditation. I was at work for a minimum of 12 hours a day. I had small children in my home. I had sick parents. I needed sleep. I was up six times a night. I knew that the meditation was beneficial. I absolutely knew it, but my nervous system was completely fried from I'm no sleep, like nothing. So yes, I know the, the meditation on its own is like, a, you know, in a way it's that deep healing quality of sleep, but I had to find a way to do it that worked with everything that I had to be awake till at least 11 o'clock at night. I had, that's how long it took me to get my, my day done. So from four till 11 and then up six times a night, it wasn't realistic. Yes. And you share that. So people know that. So this is something you share. So your students hear that, and I think that uh, they, they can relate to. Did you ever go back to the neighborhood uh, where you worked? And did you have, did you go back to do something, you know, with the community? I know you do a lot of uh, community work. Yeah, um, a lot of the stuff we did, because I did a lot with addiction, we did a lot to support homelessness in this community. And so uh, just 
through different charity type things. It's an important addiction is a very big issue in our city. It's a huge issue in our city. And so, um, and obviously that's connected to the homeless population as well. And so, yeah, we've done some work there. Uh, what about the hospital uh, across the street from the pharmacy where you work? Population, you know, um, specifically with that population, I haven't uh, gone back to work with, but uh, yeah, life is long. We'll see. We'll see where where I go next. <laughs> is uh, is uh, do you think uh, yoga is uh, a a, a sustainable business? I think it's an extremely challenging business. I think um, for, as a business person, I would say it's kind of a stupid business it, in that like a business person is like, this is stupid to try to earn your living doing this. Uh, and so my rational, you know, if you just come at it from your rational minds, like why would anybody want to work all weekends, all holidays, all statutory holidays um, for pay extra, you know, massive amounts of rent for big spaces, all of that from a business perspective is completely illogical. But it's, it, so, um, but there's such a strong pull to share this. I had no, I didn't sit down and do a business plan about, you know, will I open a yoga studio and I want to teach all I knew was I needed yoga in my life and then the next thing I knew is I need to share this with other people because it's so powerful so when you decided when you decided to share it uh, you didn't think of like you actually thought of having your own place and what was the first studio well, what happened for us, it was kind of funny. I started teaching for um, one of the Kundalini schools and I taught for them for a full year. And then I I realized that I would not be able to teach for them because there was so much pressure to... At that time, it would, they said, if you didn't wear a head covering, you couldn't teach there any longer. And I said, well, I just can't. So, um, so I left and I continued to practice every single day. And at the time I had my health food store. So it's, uh, Sempreviva started as a holistic pharmacy. Uh, I went from traditional pharmacy to vitamins and supplements. And then when I started yoga, I started sharing with videos. I started bringing the yoga videos into the store and started just sharing. And I found myself talking more about yoga than everything else. And then one day we had somebody from, it was the Canadian Health Food Association had sent someone to photograph my husband and I, because we were voted something like the most innovative health food store in all of Canada or something like this. Something was kind of nice. And, um, we they took us outside the store and i remember at that time just feeling so horrible because um when i kind of hit the wall i was already taking all the supplements i was doing all the green juices i was doing all that and i felt i was i felt like death and it wasn't until i did the yoga that everything changed for me because that brought in the whole mind body spirit piece where i was focusing in the in my pharmacy life in my uh, in my time just with holistic nutrition it was again it was physical 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 outside and in, then outside in and so I remember being photographed for this magazine saying to my husband I never want to feel this horrible in my life ever again because that it brought back it flood all that flooded memory of how I felt during the seven years of the you know or the pharmacy and all that and then I looked across the street and there was the one of the very first health food stores in our community was there 
And I looked over across the street and I said to him, wouldn't it be cool if a little room opened up in there and we could open a studio? And he sort of looked at me like, okay, you're nuts. <laughs> I says, oh. we did, and, you know, and, uh, but he didn't say anything. He went across the street later and he spoke to the landlord and it turned out that they had a room to rent in the place across the street. So within a couple of months, we rented the room across the street and that journey took off. And it was just, it was just you teaching. That I know at that time I, I right away hired other teachers oh. because I knew that uh, Kundalini yoga is not going to appeal to everybody. And so uh, I wanted people to have what would work for them. So if Kundalini yoga doesn't draw you, don't, don't, don't do it or try it and but go and do something else. Do hatha, do vinyasa, do yin, do there's all of these styles that are available. Start anywhere and try different things try different teachers i do believe that there is something for everybody i really really do believe that it's just a matter of the student having the willingness to keep exploring and uh, and the student will have the willingness uh, when they feel i believe or for me personally when it's authentic whatever is being offered is authentic and not focused on what it looks like from the outside or totally. uh, you know totally. yeah so on that note, I do want to say I, I feel because we do train teachers as well is to hammer home to the teachers is like we have a responsibility in to do our own work so that when we're with our students that we're teaching from the right place so that stuff is channeling through us. We don't get caught up in our egos and other other uh, ugly things that can happen with the practice. So so I want to put that, uh, that's a, that very heavy responsibility on the teacher to stay committed to this path so they can be that inspiration so that they're not teaching from their ego because we have the ability to make or break that student's um, you know, opportunity to have yoga in this lifetime. Absolutely, I agreed 100%. Yeah, 100%. Do you think, Gloria, because I, I, I visit Vancouver every summer and then I get to go to yoga every single day. I love that I can go at any time and there's a class at any time. Um, and I try everything and I love it. Um, but it just baffles me. I walk into a class and there's 115 students in the class. And the reason I know that was my, because my nephew worked. <laughs> so you used to tell me how many people walked in. And it just made me think about Vancouver, the city, and why it works. And there's something that works. Is it the yoga? I think, uh, honestly, because, you know, I, I have experiences in lots of different cities. We don't have necessarily, like, if you're, say, in... I don't know, in a city in Europe where the city might have the piazza or the central meeting, you know, if you know where to go to find your friends or say you're in a culture that every Sunday morning, everybody's in church, you know where everybody is. If I, even if I don't want to go to church, I know if I go to the church after church, I know where they're all going for coffee, you know, so I know where to find people and be with people and be with community. And Vancouver is such a transient city. Uh, people are here without... Uh, with other families, they move here, they need to make new friends. So there's a, a loneliness, a, a, there's a hunger for connection. And so our yoga studios provide this place where if you go to a yoga studio, chances are pretty good, you're going to meet some nice people, you know. People are going to be welcoming and people are, are there to relax and they're not there isn't this aggression they're they're there they're there to calm down so you're you're gonna make fast friends and i think that um i think that gives us that chance to come together as a community without religion politics all of those things we just put all of that stuff aside and we just come together and unite with the breath and just 
breathe together just have a good breathe together you know did i ever tell you my first experience in vancouver uh i it took us a while to understand that you know people genuinely are nice i mean generally i, I think that was my first experience with canadians probably <laughs> i would walk into an elevator and think oh please god do not speak to me you know i come from a culture where you don't speak to anybody if it's a stranger you don't talk to them and i would keep my eyes on the ground and, and hope that nobody speaks to me uh, but then after a while, it just baffled me because I was, I thought it was, it wasn't real. I thought there was, it can't be real that people just talk to anyone. You talk to the person next to you on the bus. And, um, and I had that same experience when I first started yoga. I'd walk into a class and think, please, God, do not let me to turn to my neighbor and tell my neighbor what I'm grateful for today. You know? And I, I know you do that a lot. I know you do that. Uh, and I think it's awesome. And, uh, you know, going back to that whole uh, concept of community, because you, you touched upon this in your video as well, this whole thing about loneliness and people, uh, uh, you know, just lonely and hungry for community and human connection and this offline connection because we spend so much time funny we talk about online connection. <laughs> I speak about online connection as I, as I talk to you online. Um, I think that's what we're hungry for. We are a, a race as well that is lonely, very lonely. I agree. And the other thing is I do believe that all our yoga is to be learned in the intimacy of life. You know, to be alone, to, you know, to go off and meditate in a cave and to read my spiritual books and to chant my mantras. Very easy for me to be peaceful there. Yeah. But when you're, you know, when you're confronted with your most intimate relationships with your with your partner with your boss with all of those things it's if that's where your yoga is right and so um yeah so and and being you know spending time with family i think that's when it challenges you <laughs> that's when you test you test your zen yeah. state yeah gloria i i thank you so much this this has been so awesome and i can never get enough um okay. Is there anything I forgot to ask you that you feel like you need to share? I mean, I think I, I say the same thing to all the time is really for, to encourage people to commit to a regular practice because you, you will never experience the true benefit of yoga until you have a regular daily consistent practice and not the obsessive practice, but something every day. You need something. You need to fill yourself up before you can offer yourself up to the world. So... Agreed a million percent. Amen to that. And I hope that uh, you will find time to come to the Middle East and make that uh, your new destination. We're waiting. We're waiting for you. There's so many people needing that. So uh, please do come visit. Thank you so much, Gloria. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, I'll keep you posted. We'll talk soon. Okay. All right, my love. Okay. Take care. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye.